0: Hello and welcome back to Stand Partners for Life. I am here with Akiko on this Thanksgiving evening. So, happy Thanksgiving, although you're hearing this after the holiday.
1: Yeah, we had a date our episode. It's not going to be timeless.
0: Yeah, well, we're, uh, you know, we're covering this uh, repertoire week to week now, so we want to be. That's true. We want to date things. (laughs) That's true. So, hope you had a, a happy and... Healthy and uh, maybe not quite as filling a meal as we seem to have had. We are flat on our backs here from this <laughs> from this meal, but um, looking forward to getting into last week's program with you from the LA Phil. Um, it was a, it was a great week, um, partly because there was a, a great solo performance, which we'll we'll get into. But um, let's uh, go over what the what the rep what the personnel was, the program program book, so to speak. Um, Xian Zhang was our guest conductor, and we've had her a few times at the LA Phil.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think also when we were in Chicago, was that... That's right. That right? She's, she's actually pretty young, but I feel like we've seen her for a while.
0: Yeah, she, she's worked in the US for, for quite a long time um, from China, and had posts in, let's see, in New Jersey, and I think she was she was assistant in new york for a while so she's she's conducted i think most of the american orchestras and yeah we we've enjoyed seeing her before um bezod Abduraimov, am i doing that some degree of justice
1: are you asking me <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we uh, did did we not hear him introduce himself this week but he was he was our piano soloist for prokofiev second piano concerto um and yeah, always happy to see him Be younger than we are.
1: Yes, yeah. although a lot of people are younger than we are. That's at true. This yeah. so that's not really saying that much, yeah. but yeah.
0: Not a not a major accomplishment. It's not an accomplishment. <laughs> um, but we've had the chance to play with him. I've 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 seen him when I've done some guest guest appearances with other orchestras.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that. So he's he's been soloist.
0: Yeah, in Seattle, he he was soloing one time when I was there. Okay. Um,
1: and I think, you know, well, we'll get into this more, but, um, I think this is my favorite, um, appearance that he's made, um, mm-hmm. with, you know, an orchestra that I've seen or been with, so.
0: I have some ideas as to why. Ah. Um, so yeah, the, and then the repertoire we mentioned, Prokofiev's second piano concerto, uh, there was a, the concert opened with a piece by Qi Gong Chen, um, entitled, <laughs> do you want to take a stab at?
1: The, Nadir, the French word that means
0: um, long distance or... Yeah. Um, wait, did you already say it? Yeah, I did. How did you say
1: it? Le All right. <laughs> I'm not going to do any better
0: than that. Um, but yes, means, as I understand it, distance, separation. It's Kind of theme of the piece. Um, and then the second half was uh, from Smetna's Mavlast. Um, my, my fatherland and,
1: uh, it's a six movement. What's that? Is it lost is actually fatherland?
0: That's what I read. Okay. Maybe it's just, maybe it's homeland, but Uh maybe, yeah. Maybe German translators made it fatherland.
1: Back in patriarchy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that's a six movement piece. We played three movements, including the most famous one, the, the Moldau. So yeah, that's the program, um, and, and we've got, as usual, a lot of categories to go through. Any any opening thoughts from the week?
1: Um, it was just it was just so nice to play this music, and um, you know, initially, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of two of the movements of of Mabalas that we played, but I think partially, I just we only these... played three. Yeah, so two of them, <laughs> them I was like. You know, I, I love um, Moldown. So we started with that one. And then, um, you know, it's just <clears throat> music that I feel sort of nostalgic about, I think. So it can be difficult with music like that to um, kind of move forward <laughs> in your life and, um, <laughs> and uh, kind of like get over these associations. So it's like, oh, great, we're going to do, you know, with v- Viscerad or, v- or um No, I don't know how to say it, but I, I just always loved that music. And I remember. Because I played it in high school, and I thought, okay, you know, we're definitely going to play that one. And then we didn't, and so I think I was like, argh, disappointed. So it actually took me, like, the rest of the week to get over that. And I think, like, by the last, like, we always kind of joke, it'll be fine by Sunday, like Sunday afternoon, like after we're done. But (laughs) when I really, I felt like I didn't actually, like, enjoy playing it until Sunday. And it was really, it was, I realized it was kind of, it was my fault, because I didn't know the music as well as I wanted to you know and I wasn't as familiar with it so it just it just didn't really it wasn't really meaning as much to me as it should have or I wish it could have and then and then by the end I felt like I knew it well enough that you know it it just it I was like this you know this is great music and I'm enjoying it but I think the beginning I was like ah this needs dancers or something you know
0: (laughs) yeah I went through a similar trajectory and it's as you say for a lot of pieces or parts of pieces that are less familiar you know (laughs) start out the week by feeling like I'm just reading the notes and you know not getting a sense of the whole piece and maybe not even enjoying it so much and then you know I I usually (laughs) I at least get to a place where I'm enjoying the music and then sometimes I I move through that place to the, the part where I say huh well now I know this enough and I'm enjoying it enough that I have some different ideas about how this should go. So now I'm not enjoying it as much anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think I, you know, by Sunday I got to the middle part of that. So I was, I was like happy. And yeah, that's a good place to um, be. Yeah. Maybe if I'd kept playing out, I would have, I don't know. But, um, yeah. I mean, that just goes to show, you know, your familiarity can really affect I mean, your feelings in a way you don't realize you like, ah, this music isn't great, but it, it was, it was great music. And, um, yeah. And I ended up really enjoying it.
0: Well i mean our our first category actually ties right into this because uh it's a hearing about the first time you played some of the repertoire on the concert so i mean you you mentioned the moldau movement from Mavlas, so that's uh, it's not the first movement actually, which surprised me, not the first movement of the six I think it's the second or third okay, um, but we
1: played them like in the order like in I you know I, what I mean? Like it, uh... I
0: believe we played them in the order in which they appear mm-hmm. in the piece. But we, right, as you said, we did not play the opening movement, which is Mavisharad Castle. Um, right, which both of us really like. Um, but yeah, talk about the first time you played any of Mavlast, which I, I assume was the Moldau. That's a, a river.
1: Right, so the... <laughs> um... Moldau and Visharad were the two mo- movements we'd played in, you know, pre-college works or whatever. Um, and you know, I just I had so much <clears throat> weird nostalgia about that music that I I could actually I could actually um, remember almost exactly how I faked. <laughs> the big passages like oh, toward the end that
0: is muscle memory other
1: i was weird and it really you know just goes to show you how much time i i should have i should have been working so hard on the violin in general because that stuff gets in there and it, you know for it's for forever you know accessible in some way and so i,
0: I you mean like, whether you learn it well or badly well, Yeah, that stays
1: yeah you know i think i sounded okay you know even faking i don't i was hope it sounds okay when i'm whatever i'm doing there but i felt like i was you know i how to get sort of like the top notes and that sounds just terrible that i'm saying this but um it was so weird it was kind of an eerie experience like i went back in time and my my hand was like oh I was like yeah i was like used to used to skip over this note and just kind of so you were how slide old that? Right <laughs> over it to the next note and 14 um yeah maybe more like 16 or but not of course not older than 17 or so um and then the other memory I had was um, <laughs> that at the concert, the flutes came in at the same time in the beginning
0: and That's of the Moldau, problem,
1: which is <laughs> kind of hilarious in hindsight. It was, I remember, I think, you know, at that time, I didn't have a ton of experience with things going wrong especially not an orchestra concert i'd faced a lot of like things going wrong on my own but it was just it was, it was just really jarring like you know they came in together and then they but they couldn't get back on
0: well they're supposed to alternate measures which meant that the since they both played the first measure the second measure was empty
1: <laughs> yeah and yeah the, the second flute or whoever comes in second couldn't get it back on track and so they just kept coming out at the same time. And that went on for like you know six measures.
0: <laughs> Probably felt like two hours at that time.
1: Yeah, but you know, in hindsight, it's it's weird how you you know the things you remember. But I, I really, really remember that.
0: I mean, it's funny that that you know that music is meant to evoke nostalgia anyway, and it's so effective at doing that. I mean, it's even on first hearing, you're you're meant to feel like you're it's true in a place that you've known your whole life.
1: Yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's kind of eerie, right? I, I really, I sat down and felt like it really brought me back. And I, I don't think I've played it very much since then, you know? I mean, maybe we did it in Chicago.
0: Yeah, I remember doing it once there. Um, but like, yeah, not not that much. I mean, it was a piece that used to be immensely popular and it, it still is well loved anytime it's played but yeah. uh, a lot of times i, I feel like orchestras avoid <laughs> that music
1: i mean i could no. see you know how do you do you can't, if you do all the movements i can see it getting a little bit because <clears throat> you know as much as i joke <clears throat> about like where the dancers it just sort of feels sometimes like um, the music during an opera scene change or something you know it's pretty even not, not a whole lot was happening occasionally <sighs>
0: I mean, um, we'll get into some of why that is, too. I mean, there there is a program of sorts or a story that goes along with these that might have been more significant to uh, the Czech audiences.
1: Yeah. And that, you know, Moldau really is, it's its very, very beautiful. And it really makes you feel very much like you're by a river.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I also played the Moldau in youth orchestra, but I, I don't have a lot of specific memory of it. I mean, I just remember counting a lot, which is pretty much all the music back then. That was the big challenge. And if I <laughs> I didn't know how to how to sing it, if I didn't have it memorized, then there had to be a lot of counting. Um, the Chen, now I should say that I was not part of the Chen piece this week. I was what they call rotated off. So... They didn't need all the violins, and Rotated I was... Rotatoed off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, yeah, I spun around and <laughs> found myself not playing the chen. Um, but I, I know you hadn't played it before this anyway, so there's no no sense in talking about the first time. Um, how about the Prokofiev Second Piano Concerto? Any, any memories of the first time you played that?
1: <clears throat> um, strangely, no, I can't remember the first time.
0: I have a big memory. Uh, well, you that. go then? Well, only because it's one of those pieces where I heard it live. The, the first time I heard it was live and it was with a major performer. So it's a little like the Elgar Violin Concerto for me where the somehow I'd never listened to a recording of it. Uh, so the first time I heard it was live. And it that's was weird. Cause I, I
1: associate those two pieces are Elgar Violin Concerto and And this piece I got into very much around the same time, but, um, on recordings. Yeah. Not.
0: Was that like teen years? Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty, pretty full-blooded. I mean, I should have discovered the Elgar way sooner. Prokofiev Second Piano Concerto, um, I didn't hear until, um, the Curtis Orchestra sort of was the resident orchestra for the Verbier Festival Mm -hmm. in 1998. Which was the summer after we met. Um, Very, (laughs) very little lasting zero contact at this point. Yeah. Um, So yes, a year after we met, um, I played that piece as part of the Curtis Orchestra, and uh, Bronfman, Yefim Bronfman was the soloist.
1: Wow! So to hear it for the first time, yeah,
0: first time with him.
1: Were you sitting close?
0: Yeah, I was principal second.
1: Okay. Um,
0: so yeah, sitting very close watching him say were
1: you in the back of the seconds was that like (laughs) Secret shame.
0: I was in the back of the seconds for my first two years in school Or actually (laughs) so this summer was the first time I got to sit sit up in the front Um, Mm -hmm. so and yeah, that was one of the perks was watching watching him play it and Yeah, so that piece is forever Associated for me with his sound his conception. I, I remember right after that summer just buying the CD it's uh and we've been listening to it some it's him with Zubin Mehta and the Israel Philharmonic um and I I have to say you know this week's performance really reminded me in in all the good ways of of Bronfman's performance because I've had the chance not only to you know play with Bronfman many times since then but but even that particular piece. So to, to relive that first time. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That's, that would be, if I could pick, you know, the first time to hear it, that would basically be exactly how. Yeah. (laughs) To him performing.
0: Yeah. Um, There's so many other concertos that I wish I'd had a different (laughs) first impression.
1: of. uh, I mean, you know, and it's for me, a lot of the, and it's it's actually sort of true for um literature too, but um but really for violin repertoire. Um I, I really was able to symphonic stuff, um, and concertos that were not violin, I was able to discover sort of on my own time frame or you know, and like I was able to make them meaningful to me musically and yet violin repertoire with the exception of like Elgar and you know things that I I heard about later from friends I actually never even I never learned the Elgar but um but you know like the basic violin repertoire like Mendelssohn concerto I mean I really I Tchaikovsky Mendelssohn all those ones that you you know were so very rapid fire um you know it was like the thing where you show up every week with a different movement and that's certainly you know I should have been as I said, you know, that would have been amazing if I had really drilled myself um, to do that. I just, you know, I think it was a combination of lack of motivation, but also, like, I just, I didn't know uh, what was supposed to be attracting me to this music, and so I would just, it would just really turn into a game of not screwing up, you know, and sadly, that's, like, my predominant memory of a lot of this, but so I, I feel even more fondly about, Music like like the Prokofiev, where I you know I was able to start listening to it for whatever reason. I just found it in the library or something, and I, I thought I want to listen to this, and, and it you know so it it was like the first time I was able to just independently say, well wow, this is this this is great, and I, I'm really enjoying this. Sadly, that's you know like I said, it's weird to get to you know pretty far with your musical education basically, and and not have that experience until you know later.
0: So, yeah, I mean, anytime you get to discover a piece on your own, it feels more significant. I think, especially when you're a teenager, I remember just going through my parents stacks of records. They, they let me put their old record player in my room. when I was, I don't know, 15, 16, and mm-hmm. I just go through the records. Record and... player. Okay. Yeah. I was the... going to
1: say, cause like, even I had a CD player and I'm older than you.
0: It's funny. I mean, I had, <laughs> I'm to no Z-
1: Z- albums. So that's, that's different.
0: No, I had a CD player also, but somehow it, it seemed, yeah, it seemed more mysterious or authentic to, to actually go through their old I mean, stacks of records and put pieces on. I mean...
1: Sure, people definitely agree with you. I just, yeah, just for a second, I was like, I was like of do Give time. a record player?
0: Um, you know, and sadly, well, so there was, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. I, I could have... Extended those studies. Like, you know, when I put on They had a record of the Scriabin poem of ecstasy. I remember I would play that over and over mm,
1: what a let down i <laughs>
0: I know That's a, a title that promises much.
1: Yeah, that's that's gotta win some kind of award for least well-titled piece um, <laughs>
0: I remember it that you know, it's, it's a good teenage piece I, Really, I,
1: I don't even get I mean, you know, I'm, I, I'm pretty emotionally yeah. immature. I listen to that piece. I'm just like yes, not doing anything for me
0: maybe that's difference between boys and girls <laughs> um <laughs> but you know whether it was that or okay let, let's say Brahms fourth symphony okay so they they also had a record of that I mean you would think as amazing as that was I would have thought oh well I should probably also get really familiar with you know numbers one two and three <laughs> but sadly I didn't seek them out you know, I had to wait until some orchestra I was playing in hmm. actually programmed those. I, you know, I, I wasn't as curious as I should have been. But I, for for a while, that was like my piece, Brahms Four. I discovered it, you know, it was in, in a <laughs> stack of records. And it's
1: oh well, that's. I mean, the thing is that you had the stack of records. It's not like I don't know. You know, I I think for me it was like I would leave Juilliard. I wasn't, re- you know, I was only a teenager and. I wasn't very bold or anything. So I would, I, the one place I would actually go when I left the building, you know, when I was like 15 or whatever, was Tower Records. Cause it was across the, it was literally like across uh, the street. Yeah. So, um, I would just go in there and, you know, I could browse and I would, I would buy like cassette tapes. I, I mean, I said CD at first, but in the, I think my recording of Prokofiev was, um, on tape. So, um, I think I would just, you know, get excited about, <clears throat> Going and looking. Oh, also my public library was actually great, and they had um, tons of classical CDs. And so I would, I would every time I went to the library, I would pick something else out. So it wasn't, you know, I didn't have like a, like a collection that in the house that I would go through. So it's probably a little bit different. Um, but yeah, the Brahms symphonies in particular, and I, I loved whatever one. I, and I don't remember which one it was that I heard first, but I loved them all so much, you know. And I, I did buy the cd eventually and um and i would actually play with my dollhouse in the basement of our house and i would my dad would rig the the stereo to pipe in downstairs so i would put it on upstairs run downstairs and um yeah just listen to those symphonies for hours by myself
0: i mean that sounds anybody hearing that would think okay well of course you were destined to Playing
1: orchestra. Well, I mean, I, it's
0: like playing with your dollhouse while listening to symphonies for hours.
1: You know, sometimes you think like, "How did you end up? Like, how did I end up here?" Like, not necessarily in a negative way. But it's like, "How did I end up here?" Um, <laughs> but if I think about it, like you said, it makes total sense. I mean, I, you know, I enjoy this repertoire so much. It was the thing where you go to orchestra every week, and you're like, "Oh, I can't!" You know, I'm so excited to play this, or, you know, because it was. It was the stuff we were learning was just, you know, p- pretty standard repertoire. And so it was basically every concert was some other gem, you know, that you got to discover for the first time. And it was super fun. And every concert I was just so excited for, because it, it was such a contrast to playing by myself. Like, I, I'm not going to, you know, it's not as much pressure. I'm not going to hate myself after. I'm going to have just a great time, you know. And so of course, yeah, it makes total sense that the idea of doing it professionally seemed like super fun.
0: Yeah, you had to wait years to figure out how to hate yourself after an orchestra concert
1: <laughs> <laughs> no we're
0: discovering that with our daughter too who's who's nine and yeah playing in a group playing with others is way more fun and she actually wants to practice those songs those pieces
1: so, yeah. yeah yeah i think you know she's she's anybody who's very social i think um yeah you know it's it's just a really fun atmosphere
0: Right. Well, covered our, our first times first times for the pieces on sorry. this program and, <laughs> and, and a many lot Many more. more, sorry, we went off track here. No, that's uh it's all part of the SPFL experience here. Um got our whimsical composers at dinner, composer dinner party category. Um only got three this week. We've got Chen, uh Prokofiev and and Smetna um have much of a sense of how it would be to to have any of them to dinner i can't say that i know anything about chen also since i didn't play the piece
1: um yeah i mean i i the obvious answer i guess is prokofiev only because only because of familiarity sure um i probably wouldn't really have that much to actually talk to him about after I got through the, you know, the initial sort of telling him how great he is and how great his music is. And and I think we might be done after that, but.
0: Yeah. I've recently read a, uh, book by Nathan Milstein or, you know, it's, it's taken from a series of interviews with Nathan Milstein called from Russia to the West. Wonderful book. Um, (laughs) <laughs> very hard to get your hands on. I actually had to pay a tidy little sum to get a used copy. Um, but fascinating stories. And uh, <laughs> as soon as I thought of having Prokofiev over to dinner, all I could think of was Milstein's reminiscence of him. He said he was terrified of him when he was younger. Uh, Prokofiev was a little older than he was. And he said all he could look at were his <laughs> was his face... He had these like, really pale eyes, but these full lips, full to the point of looking as though they were engorged with blood. And when they would eat at the same table together, he remembered being scared that somehow Prokofiev would accidentally pierce his lips with his fork and that blood would come gushing out. I'm sorry for the...
1: Yeah, I actually was thinking about that during the concerto.
0: I know. It's such a weird memory. I mean, it was Milstein's memory, and now it's my memory as if I had met him. Um, so yeah, we'd hope that wouldn't happen. I mean, it, it, you know, it would be interesting to talk to him about why he, cause he moved to the West Prokofiev and then, and then went back, you know, to, to live and work in Russia and to live under the dictates of that, hmm. of Stalin. And
1: hmm.
0: yeah, was, was it Prokofiev and Stalin that died? On the same day, I am dare. I remembering that right?
1: Um, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, Smetna, I guess we'd we'd want Smetna while well, he was still in his prime, before his final years when he was stone deaf. And right. We'll We'll get to that in the research portion, but yeah, yeah. Smetna, known as the the father of Czech music, before Dvorak
1: yeah um <clears throat> yeah i might choose chen over smetna
0: yeah just the factor of the unknown
1: yeah and I, i'm sure chen is very cosmopolitan and interesting you know where i'm, I'm sure smetna is too but maybe i'm you know i sort of picturing him as like kind of hairy and deaf and <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe so the hair grew grew over his ears and <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, maybe that was the problem. Constant Um, rustling noise.
0: All right, so we're not putting together a really compelling dinner party. With this, Um, all right. During the week, any uh, favorite rehearsal interactions, either among colleagues or between conductor and and us, or with the soloist.
1: Um. Well, the conductor. She's just always. She's always very funny she's so she's so efficient yeah um and i love it you know she's she she doesn't get angry she's she's just very she's like a lot of attributes that make for a very appealing conductor um she's efficient she's not she doesn't take things personally i don't know she's just you can tell that she's just had so much experience Um, yeah and i yeah i really like that about her i don't have a a specific maybe you remember a very specific interaction but um there's
0: a couple of funny lines.
1: Yeah, you'll see, yeah, what were they?
0: Well, I, yeah, just the way she puts things, uh, you know, I would say, the, so the traditional dynamic, right, is going to be that the, the conductor wants to rehearse a piece over and over, wants to go back and do this, do that, tell the orchestra how to play, the orchestra's dying to move on. But at least in one case, during the week, it was, uh, you know, Xian Zhang that said after one of those requests, uh, you know all right we'll do that but then i want to i want to move on and play another piece and it was just great because you yeah always it's the orchestra that wants to to move on but she was right i mean we had to get to to some other material because it was unfamiliar
1: yeah she also <laughs> the the pianist Oh, that was very funny but he um yeah i think the beginning of the last movement i think didn't she say something like like, oh, you want it faster, right? And he, <laughs> he, say, he, he kept being like, N- no, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine the way it is. Like, he just, yeah, he was, he was worried that that she was going to like m- misinterpret his, what he wanted to do as just being fast. And so that he was really trying to make sure with her, and that, that kind of made me laugh, too.
0: Yeah, well, I was thinking of that moment, too, because he kept saying, just make sure you're turned to me. Just turn to me. And he kept saying it to her and he kept turning to us like, is 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 she is she getting this? I really want her to be looking at me. Yeah, I
1: Conducting guess. Conducting
0: piano solos is always funny with the positioning because they really write. The, yeah. the conductor, and not that she was insecure, but I think conductors often get insecure because the the lid of a grand piano usually completely obscures the conductor from the audience. And I think a lot of them are uncomfortable not being seen by the audience. <laughs> Right. And having the soloist behind them. Well, I
1: mean, I always feel we talked about how we feel playing piano chamber music. Um, you know, any like piano cheers. and I, I've never really talked to anybody else who felt this way, but I don't know. I have a really hard time, um like physically, just positioning. So well, that you've you talk to me about it. I mean, like I don't really, and because like the way they, I don't know. I, I always feel like I can't move in a way that is clear to them. I just, and I it, I feel like it makes me just second guess all my movements and that. Well, it's a different know, kind I'm of motion, that. right? I mean. Yeah. And so like when I breathe and I start a note and they're like, oh, I can't, I can't tell what you're doing. It's like, yeah, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know? Um. But also the volume, I mean, pianists are, you know, it's, it's a loud instrument and I I always feel like somehow in the end might makes right with them. Not, <laughs> not the other personality, you know, there's so many incredible pianists who are not like that, but um in the end I feel like there's a certain amount of having to defer um I I guess I'm talking about um being in cheer music with them when you're sitting in front of them and um but yeah I think you know and I don't know maybe it's just not my personality to naturally defer something you can you can tell me if that's the case um but yeah so anyway um but he was he was great you know and he he just was really it was funny because he was he was so utterly comfortable. But yeah, and those just a couple moments where he was like, make sure you were looking at me because I, I think he just was like the only way this could go wrong is if it's just, you know, starts to fall apart. So
0: Well, the second movement of that concerto particularly is just a it's a nonstop, um, nonstop lightning fast octave passage for the piano that just goes on for two and a half minutes at least. And um,
1: It's sort of like the first violin concerto, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, Scared yeah. to Move into the first violin concerto. Um, even more, even less of a break and right. If you get started off at the wrong tempo, it's kind of like, right. I mean, someone trying to sort of set a pace for the, for the mile run, you know, or a 1600 meter run or something like that. And if the pace is off by, you know, five seconds for the mile, that's enough to to wreck it so yeah in the first rehearsal <laughs> we finished i mean he, i was sitting right next to him so i could tell yeah he's pushing it but he was doing that because he felt like she was pushing it so <laughs> we finished and she said that's fast and he he was <laughs> mopping himself off he was like yeah it was
1: yeah that, he you know he nailed it it was it was great
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, any any toughest violin? Like just uh, looking strictly at sort of right difficulty on the violin, or or something. If you had to play it in an audition,
1: in the whole program, in the
0: whole program.
1: Oh, anything well, in the
0: chan? I didn't play.
1: But, well, the chan was like individual parts, so it wasn't that wouldn't be such an audition piece. But I mean, I mean, I already talked about you know my my woes and the smetna was just trying to try to get in my fingers. And was there a particular, I mean, sure. I'm the end of Moldau, I guess.
0: Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. The last page of the Moldau.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I guess I would have to uh, go back and reprogram my deprogram my faking.
0: It's interesting. I mean, for me, it's sort of old school in that real, I mean, it really, it's just arpeggios. Scales and arpeggios.
1: Yeah, okay. Um,
0: I mean, it's the kind of thing that makes a lot of music from that era very difficult. Dvorak, too. Um, and yeah. A lot of it is printed in such a way... Like, that page was super compressed and small. <laughs> and, you know, things switched to 8VA. You know, the notes would go high, but they're, they're written lower on the page all of a sudden. And right it just it has to be locked into your fingers and if it's not there's really no way to just catch up or or sort of feel it
1: that's true although yeah i mean when it comes down to it it doesn't doesn't have i don't i don't have and maybe i should come up with some kind of like you know like fictitious table of difficult elements but um in the end you know that's the kind of excerpt if it was an excerpt where i would say you know this is the one that's basically just pitches so yeah um you know you're not having to play high pitches at variety of dynamics or you know or even a very soft dynamic which i think is harder you know whenever i look for a tough passage in something we're playing you know i'm like scanning the music um it can be frustrating i talked about how like you know jokingly about how i I don't like to practice play parts in advance sometimes because sometimes you practice something you don't really know how it goes. And you get there and you realize I practice this, you can't even hear it. And so that happens I would say, like half the time, you know, and so you we have to figure out what's you know, what's the what are the super challenging parts. But um but yeah, so you know, if these are pitches, so once you learn the pitches, then you're okay. To me, that's not um, you know, the hardest excerpt. And, you know, there are exceptions to them, I mean, I would say Strauss could be characterized as being largely pitches, and yet, because, of, you know, they it, it, it can be pretty crazy, um, and the span can be just so fast and large.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure there were any truly heart-stopping things in this program. But
1: no, right, although, I'd, you know, it is well, the kind of program where you, going back to feeling bad about yourself afterwards... There was, I, I, you know, didn't feel great the first two performances. I, I felt, you know, a little bit like I wanted to put the bag over my head and leave the stage afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: that sounds pretty bad.
1: Yeah, because, you know, it's the, like, again, it's not, like, terrible, and yet you feel a little dirty, you know. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't super clean playing, and it wasn't the kind of playing where you could really feel committed, and that's the worst feeling, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I, I felt like, yeah, old Smet probably deserved deserved a better better look than he got the first night anyway but
1: yeah i mean what what is has others meant i mean i've never played the quartet yeah quartet.
0: actually i have not performed the quartet either i got to read it once but that's so you know this is my homeland or my fatherland or whatever and the mm-hmm. quartet is called from my life oh right and it okay. actually includes a part so so he was actually deaf completely deaf for the last 10 years of his life. And I guess all he could hear was a high pitched tone or buzzing, um, which sounds terrible. Um, Mm. but he put that in the quartet. Mm. There's a, there's a part where everything drops out and there's just a really high, uh, note in the violin, like a high harmonic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sounds like something that would make me nervous.
0: Um, (laughs)
1: hopefully that maybe it involved some shaky bow and some scratchy (laughs) inability to find the harmonic.
0: I'm sure at that point he felt like, yeah. I mean, you know, since he was, he wrote about the sensation of going deaf Mm. and how it happened pretty quickly. Um, scary. Yeah. I mean, he, it seemed to go along with him losing his grip on reality in general. Um, over the last 10 years of his life also. And
1: that can happen with deafness, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I could well imagine. I, I, they're they're undecided if there was a root cause that... that
1: mm. for, Did he die? At the end of- I mean, that was like... He's the last 10 years of his life, so...
0: Yeah, and mm. at the end, his family couldn't care for him anymore, so he had to go to an asylum. And, oh,
1: my gosh, how sad. Yeah. I didn't know that.
0: Anything from this program that got stuck in your head? Any earworms?
1: Um, well I guess we're talking about it right now, so the end of you know, the mold out oh, true. Is, is in there. For yeah, for a while <laughs> some oh, of For a while the end of uh, or not the end, but parts of Sharka. Uh like oh, the triplets yeah. triplets always kinda get stuck in my head. I don't know if it's like the it's like a circular feel to it, so it just Lends itself to getting lodged in there or something, but um, yeah, the triplets from Shaka.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if we've talked on this podcast about this concept of music getting stuck in your head during terrible ordeals, um, but you've experienced that during long runs, right? Since I mean, you've done um, marathons and marathon training,
1: right? And I'm trying to did I actually have a did I have a song or a piece because it was, it was so long ago I don't remember.
0: I thought you would just often get things stuck in your head that seemed to go along with the rhythm of your steps.
1: yeah they were in a similar tempo yeah that would happen but I can't think of a specific piece um but we did you know because we'd watch that documentary about Everest
0: Yes yeah, uh Touching the Void this was right
1: Right and so um yeah we we would always talk about how that the guy who was dying essentially got some terrible music by some group called bony m
0: yeah brown girl in the ring
1: <laughs> yeah and so yeah so uh what, what else about an earworm makes you
0: well know? just it, it you know i'm sure someone must have written some good articles about what makes a good what makes for a good earworm <laughs> sure, what about I'm a sure, piece of music i'm sure gets, a
1: neurologist could tell you a lot
0: um but in this case, I mean that this is this is a good part that's getting stuck on our heads.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, I think it was partially maybe it was like some kind of weird guilt that was driving my like like one, like replaying of this music in my head because it was really you know mm-hmm. like I said for I was like ah boring and then um, no as I learned it better I was like This is, you know of course it's it's beautiful it's great music and so for days after we were done I just keep you know hearing was the, triplets
0: you mean like a Edgar Allan Poe telltale heart kind of thing like you kept hearing it because you felt guilty about?
1: It? yeah this piece that I'd walled up in some inaccessible part of my brain I was now hearing it coming from that part of my head yeah it was you know I, I, I do wish we'd had another concert where I could be like, <laughs> like hey I know this and the things you know I the first couple performances even certainly the first concert of a series, a lot of the time I feel like I am just exhausted at the end. Like I have no, I don't know it well enough. I don't know the program well enough as a whole, even if I know the pieces. Um, I mean, it's easier if I do know the repertoire better, but, you know, a lot of the times I haven't experienced that concert as it's put together, you know, beginning, middle and end. And it's very hard for me to focus on on the sort of correct things, So I end up like, I'm like hyper vigilant about the whole program. You know, I start off, I'm like, really paying attention constantly. And then I get to the end, I'm like, my God, I'm so tired. Um, And then by like the (laughs) second or third time I play it, like, it's like half as tiring, because I I just, you know, my my brain is like, okay, well, you know, you can, you know, this part, you can sort of, you you relax here. But then, you know, this is the part that i don't know it just you know or even just actually physically expending energy like your body just says you know you can hold back a little bit here
0: um it makes a huge difference
1: it's so weird though like i and it just you know you think after all these years i would have figured out how to relax from day one and yet um here i am still you know and i do you know i I do carry excess tension
0: well i remember that my very first week of you know professional orchestral playing so i just started my job in uh, principal second of the saint paul chamber orchestra and i i forget my recollection is that it was actually mozart's eine kleine knox music (laughs) but if it wasn't that it was something very similar to open the program and i remember finishing that first piece in my first performance and asking the concertmaster steve copes i was like how do you do this four times a week? It's like, I'm exhausted. This is only the first piece on the program and it's Mozart. And, like, <laughs> and he said, you have to learn how to pace yourself. I see you over there. You're like thrashing around and sweating. Like,
1: <laughs> So weird <laughs> it's like because first of all, I don't, I never see you actually sweat at all. So I'm sure that was just a figure of speech. And second <laughs> of all, I do not see you thrashing. And I feel like if anything, you're like, man, I, okay, so... I guess well, it's not weird. I guess you, you really learned how to do this. I mean, you're, you, you're one of the most like energy efficient.
0: <laughs> Maybe it was in response to that, know. <laughs> that night or that comment. And I probably felt like, Oh, I'm principal. I need to show every, every right. beat or else First the thing is going to fall yeah. apart. Um,
1: right. Yeah. I mean, it's different in chamber orchestra too.
0: Well, but no, I, I mean, but a similar thing. And, you know, so the second performance that week was much easier. The third was even easier than that. And, you know, you still You're try a quick
1: to... learner. <laughs> and ever since you didn't look back, you've just been a model of relaxed concentration ever since.
0: <laughs> um, all right. Embarrassing moments in the program. We've, we've I think, covered some some embarrassment. Uh, Sorry. Unfamiliar, unfamiliarity of material.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I hope we can get over these uh, Thanksgiving season. Holds as well, uh, yeah. Um, this is a, a bit of an odd one. I don't know if "embarrassing" is the right word, but the encore interactions that you have. So I was concertmaster for the concerto for coffee piano concerto. Uh, the soloist comes out. I mean, there was no question that the audience was demanding an encore. And I was
1: I was demanding an encore. I was doing yeah. You were I was doing right right my very me, best stomping, waving, third chair there, <laughs> stomping and waving. Keep this going, I mean, people. I sound like a real model of discretion. That's great.
0: No, I mean, hey, the people complain that you know orchestral players don't show emotion. It's like if we're really, you know, we really enjoyed this performance, we want to hear him play an encore. It's like we're whipping the crowd into a frenzy here. Let's
1: <laughs> try, yeah.
0: But um, you know the the soloist. Sort of makes a show of. Oh, should I play something? Should I not? What should I play? And
1: I know, and you have to be the street man.
0: I know. Yeah, you, you know, you have to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, you should. What should I play? Oh, I don't know. Play, you know, play something flashy, and you know, they know what they're gonna play, and or <laughs> maybe maybe he didn't. I mean, maybe but, I yeah, could I have. Know, I maybe I could do have do told that. him anything. Play. I've got rhythm. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I think. Uh, I picture Bronfman doing that a lot.
0: Right. So maybe he started
1: it. Maybe maybe I'll have to do that now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of a most embarrassing... Uh, no, it was like more like medium level embarrassment for over a longer period of time. But I do have a very embarrassing story that involves Shanjiang. Oh, really? Well, you remember that. it was. Um, and I feel like I've had other ones with her. Like I... I'm not sure. I feel like now when I see her, I feel like my my brain just can't help but want to do something really stupid. And I'm like on high alert when she's around because I have
0: no idea what maybe story she often this
1: is. conducts Slavic music or something, like the kind where there's like those big rests with nothing happening between these huge loud chords. Um like Smetna had a few of those, right? I mean, at the end of loud pieces, but I mean it was like you know, big chord, silence, big chord, silence, and then, like, <laughs> chord, chord, and then you're over, you know. So the end of... Sounds bad. Yeah, you know. In this case, it wasn't tricky in the metna, but um, when we did Mozartiana in Chicago...
0: She was conducting? Yes. Oh.
1: And, yeah. Um, it yeah. That, Tchaikovsky. Yeah, Tchaikovsky, Mozartiana. And, and you know, um, you know the piece, and... Anyway, you know there's you know the concertmaster solos. I'm sure you're not specifically thinking of the end of one of these movements, but anyway, it was like it was something where they came back twice earlier in the movement. It was, um, chord, 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 like on all the, um, <laughs> and at the end it comes back again, but it's chord rest chord rest, and so it was like loud chord, like four note chords, and so um,
0: you played every one of those four,
1: I and more i played i played five so yeah a five I, note chord. <laughs> well, not, not a five note i mean <laughs> um yeah but instead of you know four of these whatever i play an extra one um yeah so you know it was like, like this huge gaping silence and i just really went for it and i remember i was sitting in the back i couldn't really see and i was i looked up to see the beat and i just i don't know i must have been tired i just didn't I just was pretty confident. I guess it was already in my ear from earlier in the movement. But as I already said, that was not the same pattern, and it was the most embarrassing moment of my entire professional life. Still, it hasn't been dethroned.
0: Wow. Yeah, I it, wonder, was what it was bad. It was the it was the kind
1: it. of thing. And I think I've already talked about it on the podcast. Like, there's no way I haven't talked about this because it really, as I say, it was like not even close. Well,
0: I remember um, that story. I just didn't remember it was uh, Xinjiang conducting actually I don't remember it happened in the moment i just i remember you talking yeah and
1: it. that's you're always good about being like oh, i didn't notice anything you probably pretended you didn't hear it or something but there's no whether that would just be a total lie because it rang out <laughs> it echoed through the you know and yeah like I said, it was the kind of thing where it's one of those where afterwards everyone goes who was that
0: and you look around like oh, man, jeez actually, I, man, I feel I bad for that, that. person Did Something happened. <laughs>
1: And I was like, whoa, well, you know, I don't know, but that person probably feels pretty terrible right now.
0: And for years later, apparently. But
1: <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah, it's terrible how that can really just stick with you, you know. No, well,
0: didn't result in anything embarrassing happening this week, so
1: Right. So I survived. Survived another another <laughs> week with her About without a couple of decades. Without smiling myself. But I, I, I feel like there's another moment that I had that wasn't quite as bad, but yeah
0: um oh I've... wait
1: what am i saying no i totally came in wrong with her on the podium this week but this week i think i just i developed kind of a callus, so it doesn't bother me as much but um yeah i was with something in the chin. So this is just individual parts and i came in a bar early and uh yeah you know i think I she mean... she looked a little bit confused slash you know
0: but how nice unhappy. that you could have that much impact on a concert i mean we get used no.
1: to no i mean it didn't have any, any impact on the concert but i think she noticed Oh. Yeah, yeah, I mean the Mozartiana, that Mozartiana that impacted the concert that was
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it didn't make the review though.
1: I don't know. I don't read reviews, but yeah. we'll have to <laughs> For that uh, reason <laughs> we'll have
0: to look it up Uh, we may both have the same answer for this Uh, but goosebump moments From the concert.
1: We do have the same answer for this. All right
0: you want to we're it? gonna
1: spill it. We're gonna keep it to ourselves. So we're not gonna tell. That's right. <laughs> um, oh, I mean the the first movement cadenza of the Prokofiev concerto is yeah. like one of my like all time goosebump highlights.
0: And to hear it live. Yeah. Because we <laughs> we came right from rehearsal into my dressing room and and just put on the recording. <laughs>
1: but at the first rehearsal you know he's sounding so great and then get we get there and he's like okay he just stops and he skips to the very very end because you know once somebody feels that comfortable with it of course he he does like he they don't necessarily play it in rehearsal um because they're trying to be considerate and not not use rehearsal time to play their their own stuff and so you know i was like ah it just crushed me because i was like this is this is one of those times where you you couldn't hear it enough, and like it was you weren't even around for this. So like we went back to your dressing room and we listened to it, and then I think later that afternoon or the next day I heard him practicing it on uh, the stage, and so like I turned the monitor all the way up just so I could hear him practicing uh, it because cool. I just wanted to hear it, you know. And, um, yeah, and it's 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 just so yeah, first movement cadenza of the concerto, but it's all it's when it, it builds to this incredible um climax and it involves you know maybe i have a thing for you know like i said those triplets sextuplets any of those like <laughs> you know non-duple things it's just really because the the sextuplets they just they really have this like rolling effect um Is yeah it's just you really feel like you're just you're just whirling around in the the sound and yeah and i don't think i've ever actually gone to a concert and listened to it i've always sat on stage and so you know i have to say that it's just one of those things that's so great about the job is like to sit that close to someone who's doing that um it's just it's such an unbelievable feeling
0: right i mean especially for pianists where you know violinists are power and our excitement come sometimes, um, right. We just have to create it in other ways. It's never going to be sheer volume. Um, whereas pianists can really, yeah, they just summon this torrent of sound and energy. And it's so great, you know, with Bronfman and with Abdurahim our solos this week to see them do it. So physically so efficiently, you know, to where everything's about the release. I I mean, my impression watching him in that cadenza too, was that everything was released out of the instrument, you know, it was up, not, not down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. His touch is, is unique. Right. So. Yeah. um, It's very much, it's, it's interesting. Ever since we first saw him, I, I noticed his touch, especially that um, it's very anti-banging at the piano so he's able to strike but then he doesn't i mean i'm not a pianist so it just seems like he strikes but doesn't release the key immediately so it doesn't just like fly back up it somehow dampens the 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 up motion of the hammer or something it just it doesn't yeah it's 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 just so not bangy i know he really takes the edge off the sound magically and um yeah no i think it's really special and um you know he's still really young so it's cool he's gonna have a great career
0: yeah and he played um twice he played uh list um you know arrangement of paganini campanella as an encore that's yeah, a super that was... impressive encore that was I, I was happy to hear that twice that <laughs> a lot of people you know if someone's started if someone Plays more than one encore during the week. They want everyone to be different. And I get that. But that one I was happy to hear twice. Um, Yeah. And then then he gave us a different one the third time.
1: Yeah. It was was really just just as, you know, that piece should be heard, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I loved it. Can't wait to have him back. Um, Any reprogramming wishes from the week? Any substitutions you would have made? We.
1: Well, I like I said earlier in the week, I definitely would have subbed out at least one of those right Smetana selections, um, and I think I still would. I, I still think you know the the vis- 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 butchering this name Visscherad. Vis- 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 I vis- rad, only movement. heard a
0: German conductor pronounce it, so I don't know how how accurate that was. They said Visscherad.
1: Vis- vis- um I think you know that would have been great because you know the melody is. Quoted or comes up in those in Moldau and also in in the last movie and yeah Blonic. and so I think maybe maybe Moldau or Viserad Moldau Blonick would have been great but yeah I don't know I mean yeah. um like I said I it, it warmed I warmed to it as the week went on Um I thought the Chen was nice I I really you know, I have a certain amount of shame when I admit that I, I think chamber orchestras do string string orchestra repertoire like that better. They just do. And I, I think we just, you know, it sounded okay in the end. I think we just um, spent a lot of time trying to get used to how that felt, you know, just only having strings on stage and playing this thing with the individual parts. And um, it's a special thing. I'm not sure that we should like dip into that those waters you know that's kind of their thing and and they're i think if we did if we did it on a more regular basis we get better at it but it's just it was a little bit of a shock to the system to suddenly be like you know to have to deal with this somewhat raw string sound and you know how to how to listen to each other better and everything it would be great for us to do it on a more regular basis but as a one-off one you know one week type thing it was it was a little bit i think too hard to be done totally satisfyingly.
0: I mean, although I didn't play this piece, yeah, I mean, I know that feeling where it's <laughs> everyone else is gone. You're like, Oh, ho, oh, it's just, just us strings. And now everybody's sound is super important and
1: yeah. And how to balance all the, you know, everybody, those individual parts so that one doesn't stick out a whole lot. And it's just, it's a lot of very complicated moving parts that like i said i don't think you can really do it satisfyingly on you know not a lot of rehearsal time and and yeah and for a group that just isn't used to it and i I remember in chicago we would have you know we would do haydn symphonies which you know not just strings but um that was challenging because you'd be playing brookner and you know people would be really used to like 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 really digging in and they get to (laughs) haydn and you'd be like you know this is a totally totally different sound and feel and and it just somehow and you know the rough edges always felt like they were they're were always there and um and, and i would hear i still hear with some envy you know you like st martin in the fields with your and god they're incredible I'm like you know they played uh i think a few years ago they they came and they played um dvorak serenade oh okay. you know which is talk about pieces right bad memories that i'm not sure can be exorcised (laughs) you know um but yeah so they played that and apparently it was incredible it's like oh i would love to play that piece i just don't see you know it wouldn't it would just be too hard you know for a symphony orchestra not used to that not used to the sound not used to each other's you know naked exposed sounds i just you know there's a lot of huge challenges with that
0: yeah yeah it's like (laughs) getting your your friend group together to do a yeah swimsuit calendar photo shoot it's like oh we're not used to this it's like can we just hang out and drink wine and cook food
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i guess sort of um yeah or like you're suddenly it's like you're used to one kind of exercise, and then someone's like, "It's like when Lance Armstrong ran the New York Marathon.
0: Uh, he yeah. thought he was
1: he thought he was just gonna rock it, you know, because it's just about fitness. And in the end, it's about a very specific kind of fitness. True. Even though he's incredibly fit in other ways, like the running turned out to be a you know slightly different set of muscles or whatever. Well, so also I think, he you forgot
0: know, to do his whole you know cycle with the the blood stuff before the what? marathon.
1: <laughs> really, it was.
0: Or no, I don't. I don't
1: know. <laughs> anyway, so I think I think that's a I think it's a good analogy because it's a metaphor. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it just you know nothing, whatever it is you're doing, you've got to be good at that it's a very pretty specific thing.
0: Did you see any um any celebs in the audience? Any Ce- audience member stars? Did no, I? Yeah, I don't remember seeing anybody.
1: No, I'm pretty sure they didn't come. It's too bad but
0: we didn't great... see
1: we didn't see um. You know, Wendy Malik Either I, I always look for because I was right next to my <laughs> right next to my ankle. So She'd be
0: gonna... easy to see. All right. Um, some. How about some half baked research?
1: All right. Well, you were the you were the half baked researcher.
0: <laughs> I did some half baked research. Um, yeah. So Qigong Chen actually had to spend three years locked away. You know, for re education during oh. the Cultural Revolution. Hmm. and um, got the opportunity to move to France and was uh, Messan's last student, or one of his last students. Actually lived with him for the last few years of his life.
1: I mean, I, I know, I'm not, I'm not surprised. It was, it was interesting writing, for sure.
0: Um, also music director of the opening ceremonies for the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing. So if you if you watch those, I, all I remember were the cubes, like boxes or something. Oh, but I don't remember. Yeah. Um, music director. Okay, about the Prokofiev concerto. So Prokofiev basically wrote that. I mean, he was more or less a student when he wrote it, um, and dedicated it to a friend of his who. Right after he finished writing it, um, this friend of his wrote him a farewell letter and then did himself in. Um, so the piece was dedicated to this friend. Um,
1: Wait, what happened?
0: So a friend of Prokofiev's at school. Okay. Right around the time he was writing this piece, um, killed himself. Oh, but wrote Prokofiev a farewell letter before he did it. They were very close. <sighs> oh, and dear. Terrible. So Prokofiev dedicated the piece to him, didn't get a lot of performances, and then the the score was uh, destroyed in a fire uh, shortly after the revolution, 1917. Because um, the piece was written several years before that. But the score was destroyed, and so he had to reconstruct it in his head, basically. Okay. And even he said it was so extensively rewritten that you might as well call it the fourth concerto because at that point he had already written and performed the third concerto.
1: Okay. <clears throat>
0: so the the real premiere of the version that we know, well, the only version that exists uh, was in the mid-20s sometime with Kusevitsky conducting. Um. Mm. But But I guess it's very like, you know, from 1 to 2, the version that we know is a huge leap uh, because it was actually written after 3, or at least rewritten.
1: I see. And I'm not familiar with with 1 or 4. I mean, it's kind of like the thing you said, if I was so into 2 and 3, when not I run out and listen to 1 and 4?
0: Right. Well, I mean, yeah, so 2 and 3, you know, the most well-known. But uh, yeah, in those early years, and even Milstein was saying in his book too, it's, he was just this firebrand like people would hear him i mean apparently he was just an incredible performer Mm -hmm. and you know there was the added mystique of playing his own compositions and people just couldn't believe what was coming out of the instrument it was very polarizing like yeah love it or hate it this is this is modern music now Mm -hmm. and but the fact that he could make so compelling a case for it as a performer
1: yeah, that certainly helps, you know, and that's something like Leela Josephowitz does for um for the composers that she plays, you know. Right. It is it's so that she gives these performances that just really they're just so thorough and committed, you know. I remember once, you know, talking to Essa Peck about it backstage. You know, I think she he was she was playing his concerto and and I mean, I could tell that was the thing that he really loved was that she was, he said, she plays it like people play the Brahms Concerno.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean,
1: so if you can do that for your own piece. I'm like, God, how cool.
0: Right. And you know, later he grew to resent. He wanted to, it's interesting, Rachmaninoff, the same thing. They wanted to be known as composers, not performers, but people, you know, (laughs) people wanted to see them play. Uh, but Prokofiev came to resent his concert tours because he wanted to to write. Beethoven um, also. Yeah, it's so interesting how we're, you know we we can only know them really as composers. Um, so in the end, they got their wish. But at the <laughs> at the time, people really wanted to see them play. Um,
1: yeah, well, great. Yeah.
0: And the. As far as you know, sometimes we'll hear, was well, we've some pianists have called this the most difficult concerto, of of all the the ones that people actually play. Um, and so, we, who was it that asked our soloist this week in the hallway as we were walking back after rehearsal? Uh, our principal second. <laughs> oh yeah, I said, "Is this is this really the hardest?" And what did he say? It's not one of the easiest.
1: Yeah, I was, I just kind of like think those. They probably are thinking what we think when people ask us, "What's the hardest violin concerto?" I'm like, "Who who says that?" Right?
0: right. I mean, there are different definitions of hard. I mean, he certainly didn't seem to have any problem with the second movement, which is often talked about as, you know, being this, yeah, it's this two and a half minute sprint. Um, you know, about that movement, uh, I didn't count them, but someone else has counted them. It's apparently about fifteen hundred notes. I mean, everything on the piano seems plays. crazy to me. I mean, I don't like
1: really, <laughs> I have no idea what's going on there. Like, how does the human brain work? Because where kids are studying piano and then what they're doing seems like a human brain can do that. But actual piano playing is, you know, like about yeah. 200 <laughs> times more complicated and intense than that. And it's like, well, how, do, how does the brain do that? You know, I mean, it's sort of violence basically pretty comprehensible i think for anybody like okay you know they're playing high they're playing fast but yeah. and, but you know i look at heifetz or whoever and i think will have ha, you know it still doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me or milstein or roman kim you know you look at these people and you're like that's crazy but yeah. um but i have a similar feeling when i see piano really at any level it's like i don't know how how you can keep track of all that at once so i mean i definitely had that reaction to him and you know, and art, the artistry was, you know, also incredible. So,
0: Right. <laughs> what I'm about to say has like almost nothing to do with artistry, but um, I find it interesting. So in looking at the recording history of this piece, so it wasn't recorded at all until 1953. Oh, okay. Which in some, it's pretty late, but at the same time, you know, I understand they had to wait for long playing records and all that um okay. but even so the, the that's that's on the later side and um someone has gone to the trouble of listing the timings for all the movements for these So um, that first recording was george bole with the cincinnati symphony okay it's in 1953 and you know in athletic endeavors right you always think well the, times get faster and everything but this that recording uh, that second movement was actually the fastest second movement um for nearly 40 years
1: did you listen to did, can you hear it or?
0: i mean to me that tempo the tempo george willet takes sounds wait
1: so you listen to it
0: uh, yeah and and it, and it doesn't i mean it sounds about right uh-huh. I think that's the more recent recordings are more in line with that. But for years after that, I people would take it a little bit slower. So
1: I mean, is it like super clean or is it like, um, yeah, take a couple it, it sounds
0: very good. I mean, the, I, I was reading, you know, that, that recording, a lot of people didn't want to record it after that, that the piece wasn't super familiar. Uh-huh. And so that, that really set the standard for a long time. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, and you know, similarly, so our soloist, you know, Abdurahimov, um, he really, his he's often identified with Prokofiev. His big competition win um, was the the London International Competition when he was eighteen, and it, it was his performance of the Third Concerto that people really talked about.
1: I'd, I'd love to hear that. I don't think I've heard Me him play that. Me too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've never heard him play that. Um, and i guess right shortly after that competition he got the call to sub for martha argrich you know often right. often cancelling performances but she was supposed to play that piece the third concerto so mm-hmm. he played it uh Dutois was conducting
1: mm-hmm. huh. and yeah i'm sure it was amazing
0: yeah i'd love to hear that um it's weird because the first time i played the third concerto it was at a summer festival orchestra uh with my dad my dad was in the flute section oh <laughs> this was up in door county wisconsin and
1: it was john browning right? it
0: was john browning how did you remember that
1: i just not remember the story
0: yeah because he was substituting for I, I don't remember who the the soloist was supposed to be but um john browning at that point was you know fairly old and um hadn't done a ton of performing in recent years, but he had been identified with that piece um, in prior years. And so they said, Oh, well, he's not living far away. Let, let's see if he's up for it. And he certainly was. And <laughs> that's how I came to know that piece. Uh,
1: wow. So that's really cool that like both those contributors you heard for the first time live.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as Smetna research, we talked about is his, his deafness and how quickly that came on so you know this whole mavlast was all composed while he was deaf you know he makes so much of beethoven obviously composing most of his famous works when he was deaf but that's it's still pretty amazing i i, I don't really yeah, know yeah it is people <laughs> you know
1: it's really very lush sounding you know i wonder if somebody i might have helped with it i don't know the orchestration is great so yeah I and mean, i guess that's skill so he had that
0: but just this thought also, I mean, the whole thing about symphonic poems, I mean, when you think of tone poems or whatever, I, I often think of Strauss. Or, um, And it was just when I was reading up on this that I realized that Liszt was the one who sort of ushered in the, the tone poem thing or the symphonic poem. Okay. Um, you know, because before that...
1: What? What are, What's the Liszt tone poem?
0: Yeah, that's the thing is that we don't play a lot of them, but he wrote a number of them um, for piano, but but also for orchestra. Um, and just this idea that music would have a, a program, you know, because mm. music, your programmatic music, before that was basically opera like either you wrote a symphony which was just music you know there was a theme and it, mm-hmm. there would be some kind of development and it would have a structure and all that but not a story if you were writing music with a story then it was so this had opera. like kind
1: of like a libretto
0: um or like a not exactly but but it was about specific things um because yeah but before Liszt, who was really not very much before Smetna yeah you just you wouldn't write if you wrote about a specific thing it would be a multi-movement drama basically or or you'd call it a symphony. So this idea of the standalone pieces that were about literary huh. or you know whatever other themes um that was a right. there's still kind of a new concept so. That's that was Mavlas.
1: What's, what's the deal with Beethoven Sixth Symphony?
0: Oh, with the, the pastoral?
1: Yeah, because I think of that as being programmatic.
0: Actually you're right. And so I mean if that if those pieces basically had if those movements had been separate pieces, mm-hmm. then yeah, I think that's what that's what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Or even um So what year was Mavlas, sorry.
0: Oh, I'm gonna say 1870 in the
1: 1870s. Yeah, I'm always amazed. I mean, people are so over Berlioz. Symphony Fantastique, but um, I still, I still oh, like That's amazing. It. it is, it is great, you know. And that, you know, the, depending on the tempo, you know, that third <laughs> movement can be kind of a drag with the oboes and English horn. But um, I mean, to me, that's I and mean, that also is programmatic, right? But oh, I definitely I, I say not individual pieces, but yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think people, there was a thought for a while that, right, if you had a real story to tell, that it needed to be in some sort of symphonic form or it needed to be called a symphony. Um, so this thought that you could just write, you know, a 10 minute piece and that it would be kind of like a, a painting where it would depict a scene without necessarily, you know, a full development I guess that was a new a new idea
1: I see and I did feel a little bit like when I was playing these like wouldn't it be nice if these actually like developed musically a little bit instead of being like these sort of bites you know um so I see I see why that is now
0: so yeah just interesting to think of a time right before before any of the Strauss tone post goes, yeah, we would just sort of take it for granted. I mean, the Chen, for example, uh, is a piece about this certain idea of distance or removal being removed from your homeland and going somewhere else. And uh, I suppose that ties in with the, the smetana of writing about your homeland, even though he was still living there, but just felt removed, I guess, because of the deafness and all of that, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I guess people didn't do that back then, so I see. Um, the Sharka movement looks like Sarka, but I guess it's Sharka,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Um, story there is Sharka was uh, the leader of a band of female warriors.
1: Oh, okay,
0: and for some, I, I didn't get deep enough into the story to figure out why they were fighting against some male warriors, but why not her? sure
1: They did something wrong.
0: Yeah. You can safely assume. Um, (laughs) so her ruse, she tied herself to a tree or or had (laughs) caused herself to be tied to a tree. Um, so that when the male warriors came upon her, she could say, well, um, I'm trying to rebel against my, my sisters and as punishment, they've tied me to this tree to, and left me to die. So can you rescue me? And they oblige. They're flattered and, you know, probably think they can get something out of her. Mm -hmm. And, uh, once they rescue her and she pretends to start fighting for them, she, uh, drugs their food and drink one night. They all fall asleep whereupon her, Sisters come and they, they slay the lot of them. Okay. So that's a, you know, uplifting message. You if... know,
1: it really would be nice if we had more context. I've been using it word so much lately, but, you know, to, um yeah, I mean, we really should know that. I shouldn't be hearing about this like, you know, few, several days after we <laughs> played the concert. I don't know. <laughs> It'd be nice. Like, you know, maybe I'd play it differently. Hmm. Probably. Hmm. No, that, it would just give me another reason to be like, "Don't you people know the story?"
0: Right, and you know, it's debate. You know, would we play it differently? I, I don't know. Maybe though, and I mean, it can't it hurt be, to know it, right? Right, it would be great for the audience to know. I mean, not not necessarily even to know every detail of the story, but to know. Okay, these pieces are about tales that might've been familiar to the audience. You know, that's worth knowing rather than just, Oh, this is some old dusty piece you've never heard.
1: And that's something, you know, you've heard me talk about recently being, you know, something I wish we had more of just, I don't know. You know, when you go to see a painting in a museum, there's a, like often there's a blurb next to it that tells you, gives you some context. Um, we program notes, I just, I think before, before we even sit down, though, I think it's important to, you know, as a listener, I think, I think the brain wants some kind of like organizational information that might be useful, you know, I mean, some people we've talked to people who also like going in, going in fresh, you know, but um, I don't know, I I think that it's, it's, even just going to the concert, you're more excited if you're like, oh, that's right, it's going to be this.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, there's going in fresh, but the, then there's also, I, I think it's important to know certain things. I mean, we've been talking recently, I'm reading a book about Leonardo da Vinci, um, which is not his real last name. But... Um, he <laughs> was from Vinci. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Craig Kramer was right. You know, speaking of going to a museum and you know how many paintings of Madonna and Child, right? You know the the Virgin Mary and Jesus. How many paintings of that do you see? And it is illuminating to know what people expected when they saw such a painting. Like these are the traditions. This is what people are looking for. Um And so, and a lot of these paintings were commissioned by certain churches, right? So people are expected to fulfill certain traditions, but now here's a painting that bucks those traditions and in ways that may not be obvious to the modern eye. But if you know what to look for, you can see that this is actually really transgressive. You know, someone's doing something that, that shouldn't have been done. Um, or that would have been shocking to viewers at the time. And you know, that, that is important to know, uh, adds to your enjoyment when you can, when you're kind of in on the joke, um, because otherwise a a painting from the 16th century or the 15th century can just look old, you know, just like this music can sound like romantic music. It's older than Dvorak. It's kind of like Dvorak.
1: Right yeah no well, i you don't
0: have to know about the women killing all the men
1: no but, but you know i think there was and it's, you know it's possible there was an overt tie-in but i think um the chen was also about um estrangement from your from homeland yeah very much um and you know i hope i hope it was clear to the audience that that, that was sort of uh, the thread in some ways, like maybe it's awkward because you're like, well, the Prokofiev, not necessarily, is just great music. Like, I don't, you know, maybe that's just not cohesive enough. But,
0: well, but I mean, he also, you know, he left Russia and at the time that this piece was premiered in its modern form, he was uh-huh. living in, you know, living in Paris, you know?
1: Yeah. And so, like Chan.
0: Yeah, I, I think there was a real through line to all this. So, no. Yeah. If you were at the concerts and you. Felt that, let us know.
1: Or if you feel like I'm correct and you could use more of that. <laughs> let us know we'll, that the too. the L.A.
0: We'll pass the message on. Um, I couldn't find very many of these pieces in, in pop culture. Famous TV and movies. Uh,
1: Moldau, no, nothing?
0: Um, so it was a piece that was featured in one of the Bernstein Young People's Concerts uh, okay, telecasts. Yeah. From the '60s. Um,
1: yeah, it's not like we're not getting like a Tara Mahler five connection.
0: No, um, it was also in the the Tree of Life, which I didn't see. But what 2011, Brad Pitt, Sean Penn, some okay. star power there. Weird. Okay, no, this movie featured in there. Um, we've for the Prokofiev Second Concerto. No, um, not as. Not that I'm aware, but the, the third concerto was actually in a movie that we've seen and enjoyed, Humoresque. It's a oh, weird. Okay. movie from the 40s that usually violinists, if they know the movie, um, we know it more for the fact that Waxman's Carmen Fantasy um, made its first appearance for that movie. Do you have,
1: do you have like a favorite, and I don't know if this is getting too far off track, do you have a favorite use of classical music in a in pop culture moment
0: oh, favorite um, ah, yikes there's so many in pop culture
1: yeah I mean you know I mean there, there's I, I can't I don't think I can point to one um, certainly <laughs>
0: those Bugs Bunny cartoons with <laughs> the opera
1: I mean that's yeah of course that's so great and our kids love that and I, I love it um, you know in Crimes and Misdemeanors we always think about how Schubert G major right. string quartet was used, because um, that's not like a piece that's particularly familiar. It's not like Ode to Joy or something, which you know, of course you love. Um, you look you love Kubrick and you love Clockwork Orange. Sure. Or you, enough love is the right word, but um, and of course that has a lot of memorable uses of classical music too. Um, yeah, I mean I think the Schubert, and then you know when we did that the Barry Lyndon thing um I it's, i maybe it's hard to say because I don't actually know Barry Linden at all but the Schubert was, it was so, so beautiful and it really did match you know the atmosphere of, of the movie the part that we could see while you were playing um but you know while we're on the subject of Kubrick I mean maybe there's not like a more hair-raising use of classical music and pop culture than in The Shining so
0: right you thinking of that uh Bar talk music for strings progression celeste. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well. Serving I mean, extricable when we life, uh, right? when we play that next, that's showing up on the... Uh,
1: and I really yeah. I mean I would love I think Halloween. Wouldn't that be great to do that? Yes. Halloween week? Make it a like an overt tie in. Yes. Yeah.
0: I think the more overt the better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this was in the shining.
0: Um, so yeah, this this week was a little a little thin for actual pop culture usage, but do check out Humoresque if you haven't seen it. You got to see uh, you get to see Isaac Stern's hands at least. Um, they they actually had him stand behind the actor, put his hands through the guy's coat sleeves at times to play the violin. But importantly, they hired an actor who could play the violin
1: something they used to do and and of course you know recently in tar that was a big thing yep you know they they did um get an actual cellist not an actress to come and act and i think you know it worked really well
0: and in that movie well in humoresque anyway they also cast an actual concert pianist oscar levant who uh in our opinion ruined a few scenes with his, his incessant Jabbering. oh the
1: movie's not you know <laughs> it it's not citizen might have been Kane, ruined anyway but yeah
0: but you can hear yeah you can hear stern play waxman carmen fantasy before anybody else played it that's good enough for me we will end on that note um look forward to another week where well we're already uh, already in the midst of the next week's repertoire and we'll tell you all about it in the next episode but Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Yeah, once again, happy Thanksgiving.
1: Happy holidays.